At Astro Boy, 720 WGN, John Landegger with Rod Pyle, editor-in-chief of Ad Astra magazine. And a general wealth of knowledge about anything that has to do with space. Outer space, inner space, you know. <laughs> He's got it all, I'm telling you. Uh, you know, I was reading your biography here, which I've yes, perused, a, perused a few times, and it talked about how you've produced... Uh, shows for the History Channel and then, and, and others, and it included the word, the word Disney. What did you do for Disney? So after 15 years of making TV commercials, my soul felt soiled, so I decided to go make educational films for about five years. So uh, right at the time that I got to Disney, they were getting more serious about it than they had been for a while. So their budgets went way up and I got to do like three or four of the most expensive projects. And then they closed the department and was on to the next thing. Wow. That's still very impressive. I've got to say. Yeah, it was fun. You know, I mean, they're slow to pay <laughs> as you might've heard elsewhere, <laughs> but they do. That. But, <laughs> but man, you know, you, you go somewhere, you know, scouting a location or trying to hire or whatever. You say Disney and people are like, Oh, Oh, this must be important. Okay. Yes, so that's right. yeah, it's kind of a magic bullet. And thanks for Astro Boy, by the way, and, and good to have you back. Oh, thank you. Good to be back, Rod. So I know that there's some um, heavy material here about Pluto and nebulas, etc. But I want to get to the headline-grabbing, space-nut-charging <laughs> people who go, I know there's life, uh, uh, there's intelligent life. And it's been here before, or th- there's things out there in outer space that are not naturally made. Well, Harvard yes. professor Harvard pro- professor Avi Loeb believes he's found fragments of alien technology, and I've seen it. Yes, yeah, <laughs> and it looks pretty convincing, yeah. quite frankly. Well, so so i've got a friend who's a, a meteorite hunter there was a yeah. show called meteorite men on on the science channel for a few years i think it or discovery one of them and he was the the lead on that show so i've known him for years and i've seen a lot of meteorites and what you know talked to him about it on podcasts and stuff a hundred times mm-hmm. and a lot of weird stuff shows up falling out of the sky you know it's a little bit like the gods must be crazy when the coke bottle falls oh so yeah some weird rock yeah. comes shooting out of the sky and you start scratching your head, and you really got to study it. So Avi Loeb is uh, head of the astronomy department at Harvard, as you know, uh, which is a pretty good gig. I mean, that, that leads us to believe, okay, this guy really knows his stuff. And he's a good scientist, but he's also kind of a true believer. Mm-hmm. So he was the guy who came up with the ideas about Amuamua, which was that uh, asteroid that hurtled around the sun that came from outside our solar system. And said, well, you know, that could have been a, a probe from aliens. And everybody else yeah. said, nah, I think it's a rock. Yeah. Yeah. So you remember that discussion. Yeah, uh, his name well, did ring a bell. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he's still after it. And I worked with him very briefly once on an article when I was uh, at Caltech. I was just basically summarizing something he wrote because he's smart. And, um, <laughs> and he was a very reasoned guy, you know, good science, everything. He was right there with, with the other people I was working with. But then this comes along. So... Since Oumuamua, and he's always been interested in this, he started this thing called the Galileo Project, setting up instrumentation to observe better and get better data, which is good science. But then he got in this other thing, which was 
he had seen some data from U.S. government satellites saying, hey, we think that this uh, meteorite came in off the coast of New Guinea into the ocean. Looks like from the speed. Uh-oh. Here we go again. We need to connect. We can put a man on the moon, but we can't keep Rod Pyle's phone on the air. <laughs> I try to make joke because I am now, as they say, tap dancing, ad-libbing, which, of course, is a quality any professional broadcaster must put down on their resume. Here at 720 WGN. Maybe we should take the break, which would be coming up about this time, and then we will see if we can reconnect with Rod. And about this uh, Avi Loeb and these things they found, this article says they are almost perfect spheres or metallic marbles. More on this after this on 720 WGN. Something in outer space with music like that. Yes, 17 minutes after 8 o'clock, John Landecker reconnected with Rod Pyle. And Rod, I'm going to do something here that I just thought of during the break. Today is my lovely wife, Nika. It is her birthday. And every, every, when I say every, I mean every. Every time you come on, she goes, will you ask him what science fiction books he's reading? So, there you go. Are you oh, reading gosh. Are you reading any? You don't have um, to. I'm, yeah, <laughs> no, I read like a couple of books a week, but they're all uh, on Kindle Unlimited, so they're all these unknown authors you've never heard of. Um, I think the last one I read by a major author was actually an old Robert Heinlein book, The Moon is oh. a Harsh Mistress. There you uh, go. It's kind of stepping back to the old stuff. Yep. And there's a guy, now this is a little weird, That's but good. I love some of the stuff from the 30s, which was the era of oh. you, you jumped in a rocket, rocket, you strapped it on, and you yeah. pushed the up button, and it just took off and flew, you know? Right. And there was a guy named Eric Frank Russell that wrote in that, in that era and in that genre, but he was really politically savvy, really understood people in society. So what seem like kind of pulpy sci-fi stories always have these really interesting, intricate undercurrents of human mm. nature yeah. and dealing with aliens, and they're funny. So Eric Frank Russell, if she gets a chance, she should oh, check him out. I'm sure she's listening right now. There you go. I asked him. Awesome. Got an answer. Okay, now let's go back to and this. And I have hour. to point out something. Uh, yes. You you brought up aliens again, and what I happened? Did. <laughs> I know. The phone, the phone cut out. Yeah, right? Yep, right. Well... I'm going to bring it up again because this guy is the, he's, a, he's at Harvard. He's a Harvard professor, yeah. right? Okay. So, well, but wait, he okay, says, but, but, wait, hold yeah. on a second. He says, we found 10 right. spheres. They are almost perfect spheres or metallic marbles. They have colors of gold, right. blue, brown, and some of them resemble a miniature of the earth. This is a yeah. Harvard person <laughs> saying this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, so let me, if I can, I've got a couple of thoughts here. All right. Specific to this, you know, it, there's this kind of investigational bias that you have. You sort of sometimes see what you want to see. True. So, so this, this meteorite enters off the coast of New Guinea. They charter a ship. Cryptocurrency guy pays for it. They go off the coast. They drag a big magnetic rake along the bottom of the ocean, and they pick up these things. So... He looks at him, makes this interpretation, puts out the headline. That's not great for a person in position to do, but okay. But then he sent the spherules. He split them up. So he sent some back to Harvard, some to uh, University of California at Berkeley, 
and some to a lab in Germany and said, okay, everybody look at these and tell me what you find. So they're going to be looking. There it happened again. That's right. Every time I start talking about aliens, did something come from outer space? The phone goes out. This has happened to us before, and especially when we're to, only when we're talking about aliens. So that's it. If we are, if it's possible to get Rod back on the phone, which I hope it is, we will not be talking about aliens anymore. And then we'll see. Say you aliens, if you're listening, how you doing? Come on down, John Landecker, WGN. Welcome to Earth. Glad to meet you. All right, Rod. We're not going to talk about you know what anymore because <laughs> we got to have we got to have you on the air. So let's move on. From we got to have a conversation. Well, can I yeah. just finish one thought there? As long as you so don't say that, na- up, yeah, I won't. I promise. He says it's <clears> three <throat> different labs, so at least that's objective, you know. So if there is something unearthly about them, chemically, oh. elementally, that will be interesting. Or if they show some evidence of true metallurgy or something, most other people think they're just going to turn out to be spherules that formed when this thing came hurtling into the atmosphere, melted, and then hit the water. Uh, a lot of people, his contemporaries, are saying, look, if something really came in that fast from another star, it would probably vaporize. And the data from these satellites that he's using is kind of notoriously unreliable. So the odds are stacked against them. But you got to admire the guy for sticking with it. He knows what people think. And he's saying, look, I just want to be open-minded. I know these are extraordinary claims. I'm looking for extraordinary evidence. So God bless him, you know. Well, I'm sure there's an element that eats this stuff up. I mean, if you're into this kind of thing and you've got the a Harvard professor talking about marbles that somehow resemble the earth, I mean, you know. That part it, was weird. Cause I yeah. looked, did you, you looked at the pictures, right? Oh, yeah, I sure did. Yeah. I, I didn't mean, see earth, did you? No, but like you said before, people see what they yeah. want to see. I mean, yeah. this is, it's marbles, not tiddlywinks. Okay, so... We'll leave that in. Goodbye, all of you people who uh, believe uh, this Avi Loeb. I'm sure this is the last time we've heard from him about you know who and where they're from. And are they amongst us now? Mm. Uh, Well, and and he's got that big project where he's deploying telescopes and observers, and he's really trying to get a bigger footprint for data in the sky, which is something that we're really missing in terms of being able to triangulate some of these sightings. Yeah. So, you know, I hope it works for him because he is smart. He's a good scientist, just uh, maybe gets in front of the cameras a little too fast. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, let's uh, move on to some of the things that you've written. For instance, uh, the NASA New Horizon mission. Talk about that article, the op-ed. So, yeah. So New Horizons was the mission that went out and flew past Pluto in 2015, got our first pictures of the planet. Before that, it was just a smudge in the Hubble Space Telescope a few pixels wide. So that was spectacular. It was launched in 2006, fastest spacecraft ever flown in the solar system. Then it rendezvoused with an object beyond Pluto called Arakoth, which is a little, it's called the Kuiper Belt object, but it's just a couple of rocks that were stuck together. But it was the kind of formation we'd ever seen before. It was these two planetoids that kind of bumped into each other and stuck. Great science, great mission. You know, you're talking about threading the needle at over 4 billion miles away by the time you mm. get out to that second encounter. So Alan Stern is the guy who's chief scientist on the mission, the principal investigator. Everything's been going great since then. Well, NASA got a budget cut from, confer- from Congress, so they said, okay, we're going to just start taking money anywhere we can. 
Well, you kind of would expect them to take it for some of the bigger budget stuff. What's left of New Horizons, because it's just cruising out beyond the solar system now, costs about the same per year as the Voyagers do, about 7 or $8 million with an M, not a B. That's like coffee sweetener money at NASA. You know, that's nothing. <laughs> so they're trying to cut that budget in half, lay off the science staff, and hire some less experienced people to just kind of come in and monitor the heartbeat and you know, look at the electrical signals coming into a couple of instruments, just basically measuring the particles coming from the sun. So Alan's mounted a project to try and and keep this mission going because they figure the thing will be good to 2050, and they want to keep doing maybe a couple more flybys and really doing science out there. So the organization I do the magazine for, the National Space Society, we put together a petition, so if I may. Yes. It's go.nss.org slash new-horizons. We've got about 4,000 signatures on there, and we'd like to get up to five. We've got two weeks before Congress makes their decision, and um, then it's too late. So if people would consider signing that, I'd be eternally grateful to you and your show. And if they want to call their Congress critters, that's okay by me, too. The Congress critters. What was that again? How do they do it? Let's repeat it. It's radio. What do they do? go online. It's go dot nss dot org mm-hmm. slash new dash horizons and that'll put you right in the change dot org website you know i'm not um so they put people in who really are these people that they're okay so they're laying people off um are they are that's these the plan people, yeah. are, are they are the people that are going to replace them are they like scientist practitioners you know the same way you got nurse practitioners i mean they know well, a little but they don't know a lot questions yeah so in NASA parlance, they would rebid the job, basically, and say, okay, we're looking for a science team to take this on. Somebody give us a price. And I presume that's inside agency stuff. I don't think they're looking for an outside team. But they'd obviously be less experienced because they haven't been with the mission since 2000, like the people oh, who do it, are doing it now right, are. Right, yeah. So you'd save about $3 million of the $7 million you're spending now. $3 is not chump change, but when you're talking about the SLS rocket costing $4.6 billion with a B dollars per flight. This looks like a pretty, you know, we've already spent a billion getting New Horizons out there. Let's spend a little bit of money to keep it going and doing its job, right? So that's well, kind of where we're coming from on this. I, I found it a little head-scratching that if you were going to try to make some budget cuts, that you would not cut something that's already out there and is still working. You know what I'm saying? I mean, yeah. th- this thing yeah, is going. Yeah. It's still doing what it's doing. Um, we're getting information from this, and it's still doing the work that it was sent out there to do. What are you going to do, fire it? I mean, you know, lay it off? <laughs> I mean. Bye-bye, <laughs> buddy. See you around. Got, hey, well, that's see a really you later. Yeah. And, and you know, that's a severe cut in a mission like that, whereas if you scrape three $3 million off of, uh, the Space Launch System and the Orion Capsule, mm-hmm. which I would rather they not, but if they have to, you know, it basically means you take the ashtrays out. It flies without ashtrays or something. I mean, I'm being silly, but you know what I mean. Yeah. It's a very small change thing there. So I think there's better... Somebody's got to lose, ultimately, unless Congress changes their mind on the big budget number. But, you know, there's a lot of places to take that money, gather it in smaller amounts where you have to go. Or actually, my favorite idea is take some money out of the F-35 program, which last I read, I 
the time they get them all deployed and out there is going to cost something like $1.5 trillion. <laughs> And wow. it still doesn't work quite right. So, you know, we could probably <laughs> save some money there if we put our minds to it. But that's another conversation. You're way, way, way too logical about uh, what it should be done. You know. <laughs> We're going to bring back. Well, thank cut, you. I appreciate that. We're going to cut back on something that's already working. But this thing over here that we've got trillions of dollars into that's not quite right. We're going to keep at it. You know, the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. All right. You think we're done right. with outer space? You are incorrecto. Uh, Rod's going to stick around for a while. <laughs> because we didn't get to some of the serious articles that um, Ad Astra and Rod Pyle have put out there for us, and they're very informative, and I want to get him on. Sci-fi gobbledygook that, well, he's familiar with it, but let's just say it's not his favorite. Okay? Okay. Um, but we've uh, we've jumped uh, to warp speed, in case you were wondering, Rod, if you felt well, that any... was, was that Strange New Worlds? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, yeah I love Strange New Worlds. Yeah, I mean, the singing thing was a little weird, but yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's not bad. It's amazing how they keep that Star Trek franchise alive. It's. I mean, really, oh my god! If you think about it, it's incredible. You I walk know. on the Paramount lot, and it's like, okay, the left side is Cheers, and the right side is Star <laughs> Trek. You know, at least back in the nineties, that's what they said. Yeah, and yeah. and I don't know how many French, how many spinoffs they've done now, but I heard they're just planning another one, spinning off of Picard, taking the other elderly people from Next Generation and giving them their own show. Wow. Like it's the gift yeah. that keeps on giving. All right, uh, that's. Would you just, like a piece of that action? Okay. Oh my God! I absolutely. Um, you know, I have. I Paramount. Mean, you make almost as much as you do on the radio. Maybe um, I have Paramount Plus. You know, and on Paramount Plus, yeah. they've got every single Star Trek thing available at the push of a of a mouse or whatever you use. <laughs> it's pretty incredible. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. So let's get back to the, let's get back to something current that's going to happen in just a little bit. What have you got on the blue moon? You got anything on that? So this is a super blue moon, which is great clickbait for a headline, right? I mean, the only thing better would be a super blood snake moon or something. So this is a super blue moon. So a blue moon just means it's the second full moon of the month. Nothing special. Happens a number of times per year. But, you know, it only happens once in a blue moon, so that's where that comes from. (laughs) But a super blue moon means that we're getting a full moon when the moon's closer to the Earth. So instead of being just over 250,000 miles away, it's about 220,000 miles away. So it's still far. It's only about 14 or 15 percent difference. So don't expect to look out the window or walk outside because it probably rose about an hour ago in Chicago. Don't expect to walk out and see, like, something that looks like a manhole cover from 10 feet, you know. It's not going to look much bigger. And, in fact, if you've seen a harvest moon in the summer, I'm sure you have, where it's on the horizon and it looks immense, it probably won't even look that big. But, technically, it is bigger. And so the big deal about this is that it's the second full moon of the month, and it's it's a little closer. Now, the same headlines are saying, oh, catch it while you can. It won't happen again until 2037 which technically is true, but we'll have uh, a couple of supermoons uh, super again in September 2024 and October. So, you know, like I said, you don't really see the difference. If you held your thumb up and squinted mm-hmm. and covered it with your thumb, you might be able to discern a little bit of a difference, but it's not like it's going to knock your socks off or anything. And by the way, 
every year the headline comes around, Mars is going to suddenly appear bigger than the full moon in the sky tonight. Never happens, can't happen. It's always, that's just fake news. So I read an article that in there. I read an article in the newspaper linking um, the full moon and tides to the weather in Florida. Do you find anything real in that? Well, the fact that it's closer is probably making a little yeah. bit of a difference. Um, what, and the moon does control at. the tides, and yeah. it would be a real drag to be in Florida between the tides of the storm surge. Indeed, so, yeah, right. I suppose that does make a difference. I just never really have heard any other thing attached to it. Well, we're having a this moon, we're having a that moon, and it's going to be up here, and it's going to last this long, and that's it. This is the first time I've ever heard an actual environmental occurrence being linked up to it. Okay, how about the Russians blowing up a satellite? Well, they didn't blow it up. It blew up on its own, right? It's crazy Russians. So this is a <laughs> Soviet-era satellite, 30 years old. It's defunct. Um, it was in an orbit at 870 miles. So fortunately, it's well above the space station, which is about 250. But it, it banged into another Russian satellite, and they broke up seven major chunks and thousands of smaller ones, probably. And part of the problem is, I mean, it's good that it's really far up there because it won't get in the way as much. But the bad thing is it also doesn't come down very fast. The orbit doesn't decay very quickly because it's, it's way up high and it's, it's you know traveling fast. and It's got a lot of energy. So this adds a lot of junk up there where we really don't want it because we don't want to have problems like we've had with the space station and the shuttle where little bits of stuff bang mm. into them and cause problems. Mm. So I think I've told you before, a couple of decades ago, a paint flake the size of a dime, just a flake of paint, hit the space shuttle's front window. It has three panels. It dig the, dug a big gouge out of the front pane, didn't let the air out of the shuttle, but that's scary. You know, you're traveling at 17,500 miles an hour. Here comes a paint chip traveling at the same speed but different direction. And bang, so you can imagine if you've got a piece of this Russian satellite that's the size of a shoebox, it could go right through the side of the space station and out the other end and take somebody's arm with it. Oh, yeah. So this has got people very nervous. And you saw gravity, right? Yeah, sure did. So you remember, you know, it had some silly stuff in it. But that whole thing about the Kessler syndrome is, is yeah. fact. You know, there is a chance where things are going to start hitting each other. Right. And those pieces go hit other pieces. And then you can't fly up in the lower orbit anymore. So that's what these concerns are about. So this was kind of a, a big news item. And this is just another in, uh, latest in a series of both natural and human-caused problems. You know, India and Russia and China have continued to do anti-satellite missile tests. And every time you do that, you create a bunch more stuff. So we've got to figure it out. Not to say that the universe isn't gigantic and immense but if you're spending years and years and years of putting stuff into a certain height orbit over the earth it's it's going to get like junk i mean and then it explodes exactly. or, or, or it expires or not, it's not used anymore and it's just floating around nobody's guiding it nobody's telling it where to go it's like if you've if you've ever driven, if you've ever flown over Los Angeles, you know there's a lot of room up there and you can get around. Yeah. If you've ever tried to drive through Los Angeles <laughs> during any weekday, you know that we all sit and go eight miles an hour. That's what right. you know, low orbit's going to be like pretty soon. Yeah. Amazing. Um, let's get on to some more serious stuff, some things that you um, 
What do you, will you tell me? What do you want to go to next? Well, I think we talked last week while you were out about India on the moon, but I just yeah. wanted to add a little bit. So about a week ago, the Chandrayaan-3 lander uh, set down safely on the lunar surface. A couple of days after the Russian one crashed, which isn't a good look for Russia. Um, and Russia has had successful probes operating on the moon back in the 70s, like spectacular. You know, they had rovers, robotic rovers that survived the harsh lunar night and collected rocks, and one of their final lunar missions flew the rocks home. So the Russians have a pretty good record at the moon. However, at Mars, they've been trying to land there since 1970 and still haven't done it, despite a couple dozen attempts. So we really figured, okay, this moon was good, thing was going to be a shoe-in for them, Lunacod 25, um, or Luna 25. Didn't happen. But India, you know, this kind of upstart space power, They've done one successful mission out to Mars. They've done some lunar orbiters, a lot of satellites. Uh, this was their third mission to the moon. Lander went down perfectly. Has a little rover that's driven out perfectly. It's only going to last about two weeks because it's not designed to survive the lunar night because it hmm. pitches down about minus 250 degrees. But they're doing good stuff. The coolest part, you know, we were talking about NASA budgets a while ago. Yeah. If we did this through our system, it would probably cost between 400 and 700 million dollars. India's cost was 73 million. <laughs> Just wow. pretty cheap. That's yeah. So their cost of labor is low. What wow. a bargain, huh? Absolutely. I mean, yeah. it, it's all relative, but yeah, in, in this world of how much things cost to do in space exploration, this is truly a drop in the bucket. 75 million dollars. Wow. I mean. Yeah, which is about the cost of the Mars helicopter you know, alone. You know, Jeff forget Be- the rover. So, Jeff Bezos could be heading to the moon next. I mean, he's got $75 million. Oh, <laughs> oh that's a weekend for those guys. Exactly. You know, We're going to go for a picnic. And Elon decided to do this. It's like, hey, let's, uh, <laughs> let's not take our wives out for a couple hours. And, you know, we'll just. <laughs> or whatever they whatever they spend their money on. I guess Elon's uh, not married now, but you know what I mean. I mean, I, I, that's astounding. I'm sure it's pretty much astounding to anybody that they heard that India went to the moon for seventy five million dollars. Wow, that is incredible. Mm. Well, so uh, the, the cool thing here for me is, yeah, sorry, but no, do they have a call center in case something goes wrong? I mean, <laughs> well, they got mission control. But yeah, what I'd like to see happen, so India. And NASA have collaborated on a couple of things. Mainly it was NASA helping them with some of their earlier missions. But imagine, you know, if we keep doing the kind of thing we're trying to do, like exploring the other planets and going Mm -hmm. out beyond the solar system and all that, but we outsource the building of some of these machines to India and maybe some of the operations, with the budgets that we have here, you could have condominiums on Jupiter in five (laughs) years, you know? I mean, you could do a lot. So I think there's a real magic spot in there somewhere of international cooperation. Indeed. More with Rod Pyle after we take this break on 720 WGN. You know, the blue supermoon, the full moon, right? Well, isn't this the time for werewolves? That's right. Werewolves everywhere. People are trying Look at that. Guy just grew facial hair. Unbelievable. Anyway, um... I know. I know. Of course. Wasn't it werewolf, their wolf, and young Frankenstein? <laughs> yes, it was. Remember correctly? Uh, you remember absolutely correctly. Great <laughs> movie. Uh, awesome. Um, how about your podcast? Let's talk about that. So, we had the uh, reason I brought up the New Horizons thing is we had Alan Stern on a couple of weeks ago. Um, 
We had the chief scientist from the Psyche mission on a while back, which was which is going to be flying out to investigate the most metallic of the big asteroids. And this Friday, we're going to have my friend Pascal Lee on, who just got back from that same Arctic base I went to last oh, year. Yeah, He's the one that yeah. built it, so he goes there yeah. every year. And they were testing new spacesuits and new communication systems and a drill to drill into other planets. And so he does the coolest stuff. And I was kind of bummed I couldn't go this year. But but so he's going to come on and talk about all that. And then in a couple of weeks, we have a guy named uh, Rob Manning coming on, who's the I met him when he was the chief engineer for uh, the Mars rovers, the Mars exploration rovers, Opportunity and Spirit. Great guy. Really funny, really humble. I just love him. Well, now he's the chief scientist for all of Jet Propulsion Laboratory, which is a huge promotion for anybody, but he's just that talented. So he's going to come on and, and regale us with tales about rovers and robots and all that kind of stuff. So I'm really looking forward to that one. It sounds, you know what, I? it's an amazing area to be so involved in. And you were talking about, you mentioned, when I asked you about Disney, that you were had done something for Disney. You made a mention yeah. of you. What was the thing that you said you had done for years and years, which had nothing to do with this? TV, TV commercials. <laughs> yeah. Now, wait a minute. Let's go back to that. Right. TV commercials. Yeah. So you had an ad agency or what? Uh, no. So I was a production assistant straight out of film school for about three horrible years. And it's the worst job out there, you know, 75 bucks a day or something. And you're working 20 hours. You're first to arrive last week, you know, the deal. So I was working at this commercial company called Film Fair, which had five separate companies and groups of directors in it. And they had one centralized production office. And the person running it just got up one day and said, I'm done. I can't take this. This is 60 hours a week. The stress is killing me. So they turned to me and said, you want a full-time job? And I said, sure. What's it pay? And they said $400 a week. And I said, gosh, that's a lot of money. So I did that for the next three and a half years and uh, almost had a heart attack. But I learned a lot. And then after that is when I got into the whole uh, educational and documentary thing. So it was a great, you know, a great school. And and then the years I spent after that, I did some, some political commercials and other stuff. I kept moving in and out of it. But the educational stuff and the documentary stuff is sort of woven in with it, and I gradually just transitioned out. Well, that, the point I was going to get to was where along the line, I mean, you're so knowledgeable about anything that has to do with space exploration or NASA. I mean, you know, you're, you just rip it off the, without any notes or anything. I mean, it, this happened, that happened. When, when did you transition from making commercials to going to outer space, so to speak? Well, I've been a fanatic about space since I was about six, ah, and that's really okay. what I wanted to do, but right. with my math scores, by the time I hit calculus, that was clearly not going to be my <laughs> career path, so that's when I went into entertainment, but my hope was to either do television or books or something about space with that training, and the commercials was just kind of a, a way station on the right. way. Right. But, I mean, you know, I mean, your career probably kind of went the same way, right? You, you tried a bunch of different things. No. You're a DJ here. You do no. top 40 or something. No? No. Well, I mean, I've been in radio. That's it. I mean, it's not very, <laughs> it's a straight line. There's not any deviation from it. I've never had a job. Is it always talk radio? No, no, no. Not talk <laughs> radio, but it always was radio, yeah. you know. He, um, he, no. What? 
you have you were born with the gift of gab. Literally. <sighs> okay, thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's various ways of putting that, you know, velvet velvet throat and a golden tongue or something. But yeah, well, the gift of gab. No, was. no, it's 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 not it's not so much his voice, mm-hmm. but it's what he can do that most of us cannot do given oh 30 seconds what can he come up with in 30 seconds you would probably be surprised well maybe someday we'll find i gotta tell you guys it blows my mind because when i started doing my first podcast over at kfi out here which is about the same size as your station they said okay they took me to the studio and said okay start talking and I instantly broke out a flop sweat, and I'm like, yeah. huh? about what? They said, just talk about yeah. space. I couldn't get two words out. I just sat yeah. there and shivered for the next five minutes, and then we gave up, and I started scripting the stuff. I don't know how you guys do it. Well, I'll tell you, I've had experiences just like the one you described. Absolute terror. <laughs> no idea how I got here, why I'm here, and how long this thing will last. <laughs> oh, I dropped out of college at Michigan State in my senior year to take a job in Philadelphia. And when I got there, I thought I had made the largest mistake in my life. And what was Uh, I going to do? I was married. I had a kid. The guy I was working for had such a strict format. You couldn't do this. You couldn't do that. I mean, I even blew a countdown. You know, like, you know, in the Memorial Day weekend, top 500 countdown, right? I (laughs) And he he, he played a record that wasn't on the list, let me guess. No, no, I got out of order. Oh, that's worse. (laughs) And I'm sure they had it all written down for you, didn't they? Of course they they did. Of course they they did. did. But I was just like freaking out, you know. So, yeah. I have a science fiction question, if I may. Yeah, me? Sure. Yes, for you. So, from our childhood, we've talked about the time to time, but what was your favorite of the wonky movies we went and saw on the weekend matinees, besides science fiction movies. Oh, f- my favorite of the wonky movies. I'm trying to go back to... Actually, to be honest, I was more into westerns at that point. Um, oh, really? Yeah, although... Uh, come on. Give me a couple of examples. Maybe it'll stir something. Um, well, so... I have a lot of candidates, but I have to say, I think the one that really nailed me to the wall was Robinson Crusoe on Mars, if you ever saw that. Oh, oh now I know and what we're getting at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Adam yeah, yeah. West and Paul Mantee. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And, I of did. course, 2001 A Space Odyssey, although by the end of it, I was really confused because I was like, <laughs> you know, 10. How, and, how, how uh, about something? Not even that. I think it was nine. How about something a bit more contemporary? Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Nice. Yeah. Did you like it? I loved it. I'd already, I'd already read all of Douglas Adams' books by the time I saw the, the time the movie was made. Because someone turned me yeah. on to him many moons before. And, and the guy was just, the man was brilliant. He <laughs> was. And, I, and the books were incredible. But I didn't actually make it through the movie. I felt it was just so... Off center from from the spirit of the it, book somehow. It, it wasn't it wasn't a perfect translation, but given how things can often go with science fiction in Hollywood, it was pretty close. It wasn't perfect, but I thought I thought it was pretty close. I have not seen it. I admit you, it. You you should. It's, I will. 
I'll just give you yeah, a it's hint. Worth checking out. Sure. It's, yeah, and just remember, there is one important number. Forty-two. All right. That's all you need to know. All right. I will take. Thanks for all the fish, buddy. Yep. (laughs) And and he'll sit there through the whole movie before he finally gets it. I'm feeling ganged up on now. No, John. John will sit there going, "What is that? Why did he tell me forty-two? It'll be the end of the movie before he gets it." Well, that happens all the time. Hey, Rod (laughs) Pyle. Rod Pyle. Thanks for being with us tonight. Always great to talk to you. Thank you so much. I'll talk to you again real soon. Thanks for being with us.